0: Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First NAS Podcast. Just to remind you, uh, as I has become my habit, that we do prayer at 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings via Zoom. And so, if you would like to wake up on Thursday morning, or maybe for some of you that's midday, 6 a.m., I'd like you to take a midday break if 6 a.m. is midday, And spend some time in prayer with us via Zoom. You can, you don't have to turn on your camera. So if it's early in the morning for you, you don't have to have showered yet to make it to 6 a.m. prayer. And there are links around on our website and Facebook, and you can find those. They get texted out to our prayer list. So I hope that you'll you'll engage with us in Thursday morning, 6 a.m. prayer. And then I have an exciting thing I'm about to do. (laughs) this is uh okay i've been your pastor since the beginning of february uh and this is the first time this is the first time that i'm gonna come with something like really big and scary and so i hope I, i hope to do this occasionally but today is big and scary day uh i we are i it was an accident There are no accidents, but it was an accident that I arrived as someone who had grown up, I grew up in this church uh, to be your pastor. And so this church has been a part of my life for 40 years. And uh, the church happens this year to be celebrating its centennial. And that was an accident. But I happen to be a pastor that's pretty stoked to celebrate the centennial of the church that I happen to be pastoring. I'll be honest with you, uh, I don't know that every pastor looks forward to celebrating the centennial of the church they pastor. Um, I'll just leave it there. (laughs) I am super excited. So, I've been telling you, don't go camping on Labor Day weekend 2021. Come to Lewiston First Naz. We're going to have a party. And we're going to have a party all that weekend. And one of the things that I have been challenged with over the planning of our centennial is that Our centennial can't just be navel-gazing. We can't just be looking at how awesome First Naz has been for 100 years. We need to do something exciting outside of the walls. And so one of the things we're doing is on Saturday of Labor Day weekend, we're going to go out and we're going to serve our community. We're going to do a service project on Saturday morning, and it's going to be local. It's going to be right here in Lewiston. We're going to bless our neighbors and friends here in the valley. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to begin a project. This is scary. We're going to begin a project in Lenarca, Cyprus. Cyprus is an island. Here's a map. It's an island in the Mediterranean. It's surrounded by Turkey and Syria and and Lebanon and Israel and Jordan and Egypt. Well, you can see. I don't need to read the map for you. Sorry. Cyprus is an island. The Church of the Nazarene has had a building in Larnaca for a number of years and it's it's kind of been it's been seen as a place where missionaries and church planters from that part of the world can go to as a retreat and it's been it, there's been a vision for it to be a training center for church planters. Cyprus is a strategic location for for the church because Cyprus is open to us uh, westerners and from people from europe travel to cyprus all the time it's beautiful it's beautiful you're going to want to go to cyprus when you google it and see the beaches Uh, cyprus is open to tourists and people coming in westerners but it's also very open to people from from the middle east and and those countries to come it's, it's not a place that if people go to it from, from some of those countries that don't give us access, that they get in trouble when they return home. Uh, it's, it's a place that is, is kind of neutral in the world. There's great Christian history there. The Apostle Paul set foot on the island of Cyprus. Uh, and, and it's historically just an amazing, an amazing location so the Eurasia region has had this building for a number of years, and a new regional director, Jim Ritchie, took took uh, leadership of the region uh, within the last couple of years. And one of his visions is to use that building in Cyprus. There's a picture of it right there. It's two stories. You can kind of only see the, the top story here is at street level, and then it goes down. Uh, he has had a vision to use that as a training center for church planters and for uh, a place, a, a retreat center for people coming out of parts of the world that won't give entrance to you and me uh, to to receive church planning tools, training, and to rest and recuperate from the stressful ministry that they, they experience, and then to go back and continue to, to spread the good news. And so I went looking for a project for our centennial And I thought maybe we'd plant a church on our local district. I thought maybe we'd do, I don't know. I didn't know exactly what we'd do. And as a church board, we had a few ideas, and and we talked about it. And we went away for a month. We decided we would pray about it and, and think about it. And I sent some different project options to our board members. And when we gathered again in May for our board meeting, there was a real sense of unity, that this is an opportunity for our church on our centennial to make a huge impact in the world, uh, to potentially, potentially change. I mean, this is not really a Cyprus-focused project. The project is in Cyprus, but the project is to give access, uh, a place uh, to give tools to missionaries who can enter parts of the world that a lot of missionaries can't enter, and to give a respite to people who need a respite. From serving in, in difficult, difficult places. And so over the hundred years of First NAS, we've made incredible investments in places like Honduras. Right now, Brooke Thomas is doing amazing work in, in Brazil, and that's after she has planted a church in Argentina. Uh, you supported our family in Ecuador. We've gone to Swaziland and Western Samoa to the Philippines. Our church has done great things over these years. But this is a bigger project than we've ever taken on. This is a project that is kind (laughs) of scary. Let me just, before I I tell you what it's going to take, let me just read to you. I've been in communication with the regional director. Let me tell you what regional director Jim Ritchie has to say about this. He says, the vision for this project is proceeding very well, and it is emerging as a key component in our regional education strategy and pastoral formation in Eurasia particularly serving, and then there's brackets around the geographical area uh, that it's going into because we don't talk real openly about the church in the Nazarene being in places where we send missionaries creatively. As, as well as our Eurasian priority in this area, I also recognize that this area of ministry and missional engagement was important in Africa and Asia-Pacific So I met recently with the regional directors from those regions, and we are committed to working together on this. So it really is a cross-regional collaborative effort. I'm excited about Cyprus and what we can do there, and I think it will prove to be significant to our mission. This is a regional director. We have six of these guys uh, around the world leading huge geographic areas. Three of them are excited about this project in Cyprus and the training opportunities that could happen there. So this, this is maybe a little bit bigger than I had in mind when I started thinking about a centennial project or a centennial offering for, for our church. So I would like, as our centennial, as part of our centennial celebration, my plan is to take an offering and to give it to, to the Cyprus project would you like to know how much it might cost to do all that the Eurasia region would like to do in Cyprus? I, I kind of had sticker shock when I first heard this number. So it's $250,000 to complete the project. And uh, as one of our board members said when, uh, when we started looking at this, we'll know it's been God if, we <laughs> if we're able to do much here. Now, there's good news. There's exciting news, actually, on the $250,000 front. Because the region actually has money that they would match any money that we give. So, every dollar that comes from Lewiston First NAS will be doubled when it gets to the field. Let me tell you what else is exciting for, for us as we consider giving to this. This last year in the life of our church has been really a good year financially. We haven't had as many salaries as we normally would and I'm looking to hire staff right now and so this is not going to be the norm, but we do find ourselves with a significant amount of cash on hand as a as a local church. So our board has said, why don't we match whatever people give to our centennial offering out of the reserve funds that we have currently. So that means that if you give a dollar to the to the Cypress project here, it will be doubled here, and then it'll go to Eurasia, and it will be doubled. So every dollar you give will become $4 by the time it reaches Cyprus. So I don't, I don't know that it still seems like a really like easy thing. <laughs> it still seems like a huge step of faith to, to think about raising. So, so if you like, take it backwards from 250 we we would like to raise $62,500. In an offering. We can do it. Okay, Christine says we can do it, and so I would ask you: Would you pray about what the Lord would lead you to give? Would you pray about going to Cyprus? Because I think we should send at least a team to Cyprus. Maybe a couple during the construction pro- process, and and kind of continue our investment. By, by offering some boots on the ground to help with the construction project. And, uh, uh, Christine, I like your faith. I love your faith. God is good all the time. And, uh, and so I think, I think just maybe uh, we, could, we could start something. As this church celebrates 100 years, we could do something in a different part of the world that could have a pretty cool, amazing impact, right? So will you be praying with me about how the Lord might call you to be generous and what the Lord might be calling you to do? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for praying with me about it. Thanks for not being scared, Christine. (laughs) I don't think God's scared of it. Uh, I don't think, I know our church board's not scared of it. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. Uh, And so let's go. Let's see what the Lord can do. This week I'm going to be changing gears preaching. I'm going to start preaching from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. I'm going to tell some stories from the life of the prophet Samuel. Samuel is a really important character in the Old Testament. So if you want to turn to 1 Samuel 1, I'm going to summarize the story that we find there. As you turn into 1 Samuel 1, I'm going to ask you, uh, what are you, what are you wishing for these days? What are you wishing for? Uh, You don't have to answer out loud, but I just have this, we live in a world, have you ever noticed this? We live in a world that thrives on us wanting the next thing, right? Our economy depends on you needing the next thing, whatever it is, whether whether it's uh, at work if you need like a new piece of equipment or you need that new promotion or that new raise or whatever it is. Like our hearts are just sort of designed to always be looking for that next. We want we want to reach that next milestone in our career. We want to we want to hit that number or we want to. We want that position. It's not even a a promotion. It's just lateral movement. But boy, my life might be complete if I had that one, right? Or at home, we do this. We do this like with the stuff around us. Oh, man, that refrigerator. Now, that refrigerator is really nice, right? Or that cell phone. Yeah, my cell phone, it's nice. But it does crash every time I try to open that one app. and and, And we start to think like this, right? We start to think, that new cell phone, if I have that, then everything will be great. My life will be complete if I just have it, if I just, that new tablet, it's so nice. It's so much faster than what I have now. It won't crash. It will do everything that I want it to. YouTube videos will look better on that, that screen, than they look on the screen that I'm looking at them now. We do it we do it with our family and with our home like oh this house oh we we always wanted to be in this house but we didn't know that we would need one more bedroom and so oh we could add on to a bedroom over here in the backyard or We could find a new house and a new house would bring us so much joy and contentment and life would be perfect and we'd be happy forever if we only had a different house or oh man, I couldn't wait until my kids were playing softball. Oh my goodness, when will softball ever end? Our lives will be complete when softball is finally over. Can we just get to the end of this season? It's never going to end. Oh, when will it end? Then my life will be complete Do you ever think that way? I'm probably the only one who ever thinks that way. (laughs) Uh, Okay, okay. So I'm, I'm, I know I'm not the only one, but we do that, right? Our world is just designed, the commercial comes on and we say, we look at each other and we say, oh, we need that. We need it. We've got to have it. Life will be complete when we have that trinket, and look, they're offering it with no money down. <sighs> I could go on, <laughs> but I won't. Our, our life is is just like that, though. Our, our hearts are just like that. We, we look at the next thing, we think about the next thing, and we think, that's what's going to be, ah, oh, once I have that, then I'll be complete then everything will come together, then everything will be perfect, and and then we get it, and then what is it? Like, it depends on what it is, right? It depends on what it is. If it's a new house, maybe it's a week. If it's a cell phone, we walk out of the store, and we're already like, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't as awesome as I was hoping it was going to be, Right? So today we're we're looking at a story of a lady who knew what she needed for her life to be complete. We're looking at the the life of Hannah, and uh, and so to get to Hannah, we have to. I got to give you a little bit of the history surrounding the beginning of uh, of First Samuel, and so First Samuel it it begins in this period of judges. And one of the reasons that Samuel is so important and why I think Samuel's worth spending a few sermons on is because Samuel is a transitional character in the history of Israel. The people of Israel, they go from, from this period after the Exodus, after they had left Egypt, left being slaves in Egypt, they, they moved into the promised land, but they, they, never, really, they never really fully moved in to the promised land and so they lived there but they had neighbors and they didn't like having neighbors and they didn't do well with neighbors they weren't good neighbors and if you can imagine the people who were living there uh, they weren't good neighbors to these invaders the israelites who just showed up and said god's promised us this land and the majority of the people that were there went by by the name Philistines, and the Philistines were were in the land. And every once in a while, in that period of time after they entered the promised land until until the days of Samuel, there there would be there would be lots of conflict between God's people and the Philistines. Every once in a while, it would come to a head, and the Philistines would be really beating up on on the Israelites, and then God would appoint a judge, a person who would unify Israel, bring them together for a battle, fight against them, and against the Philistines, and bring a little bit of peace. And then the book of Judges over and over again, it says, and then people went and did what was good in their own eyes. And what was good in their own eyes was not being good neighbors to the Philistines, but it was also this, this cycle of worshiping the Philistines' gods. So in spite of the fact that God, the living God, had freed the people from Egypt and put them in the promised land, then when they got to the promised land, the people of God, the Israelites, would begin worshiping other gods. They'd see other gods, and they'd say, oh, that God, he's, he's helping the crops of the Philistines do better than my crops. Maybe I should worship that God. And so, they would begin to worship other gods. And the judges, again, would come in and say, Israel, what are you doing? God delivered you from Egypt and from slavery. Let's worship only God. And the people would would kind of shape up, and they would begin worshiping God again. And it's just this cycle, this cycle over and over again of, of people having a good life, and living a good life, following God, and then the Philistines coming in, and taking over, taking over their culture, taking over their worship, and and the people going away from God. And it's in that cycle that, that we meet, at the beginning of 1 Samuel, a man named Elkanah. And Elkanah was uh, a man with two wives. He had two wives. He had uh, a wife named uh, Peninnah, and Peninnah had children. And Peninnah was... Was really happy to have children. She was she was proud of her children, and the other wife of Elkanah was Hannah, and Hannah did not have any children, and she was she was upset over not having children. And Elkanah loved both his wives. He loved them both. The Book of First Samuel tells us that he he was kind to both of his wives. He maybe showed a little bit of preference to to uh, Peninnah. She she received a little bit more. From, from Elkanah, it says, because she had children, and, and the idea you get is that she, she needed to provide for her children, and so she received a little bit more, but Elkanah was in love with both his wives. He, he loved them both. He tried to treat them both well, but Hannah really, really wanted children. She really, really wanted children, and, and she, she was upset over the fact that she did not have children, it bothered her, and it bothered her. And, and Penina was not exactly very nice about the fact that she had children and Hannah didn't. And so she would kind of rub it in her face. And, and Hannah, Hannah was, was really upset over this. And I, I imagine that Hannah was like we are when, when we see that new thing that would complete us, that she thought, the thing that will bring me contentment, the thing that will complete me, would be if I could have children, and she wanted children. She she needed children. She she thought that children were the thing that would bring her happiness and hope in this life. And um, and Elkanah, she, so so Hannah Hannah was very very upset, very very upset. She stopped eating for a period of time. She was so upset. And Elkanah he um, he's just kind of a guy. Um, He's, he's maybe, he's not real sensitive, I guess we could say. He's not real sensitive. He doesn't understand. He, You know, every, every husband that a, has a distraught wife kind of goes through these, these same emotions that Elkanah has. In verse 8, he says, why aren't you eating? You have me. You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 children, he says, uh, the sentiments of most husbands, right? Why would you be upset? You have me. I better move on. In verse nine, then in chapter one of, of First Samuel, we we get to the to the nitty gritty, kind of the the actual details of the story, and Hannah Hannah begins to to pray. And in, in, uh, she she's p- particularly upset after one of these these meals, these sacrificial meals where, where Peninnah has received more than she has. And she's reminded once again that she doesn't have that thing that she is sure will bring her hope and happiness and contentment in this world. And so uh, in verse 11, she prays, and, and we read this prayer, O Lord of Heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And so it says that she's she's at the tabernacle, the, the place where God has instructed his people to worship him. It's a tent, it can move around. But in, during this period of time, they kept it at a place called Shiloh. And so he's, she's at the tabernacle at Shiloh, and she's praying this. She's gone to the tabernacle to kind of just get into God's presence, to be alone, to be away from the stress of being around her husband and his other wife. And he goes away, and, and the priest, the priest at the time, shows up at the tabernacle too. His name is Eli. And Eli's kind of a good guy. He he comes in and he says he he sees that she is praying there. Actually, what he sees is that she is moving her lips, uh, but no sound is coming out. And he thinks uh, he thinks that she's been drinking, um, which this is two weeks out of three where God's people are being faithful to God in the stories that I'm preaching, and they're confused for having been drinking. I don't know. I don't know. I, like, two out of three weeks it's just happened. Alyssa, we were talking about this passage. She read it in this morning. She was like, how often does that happen in the Bible? I think these are the two instances. These are the two instances. So, if you can think of another, please let me know. Because I'd be, I'll preach there next week. <laughs> So Hannah responds in verses 15 and uh, 16. We read uh, Hannah's response. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. I'm very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. When Eli realized what she was doing, he immediately changes his tune and he he's really kind he's really kind and in verse 17 he says in that case Eli said may the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him and Hannah went away from that interaction feeling much better she begins eating she she feels she feels like she can go on and and it turns out that the Lord grants her what what she asked. The Lord gives her a son. And out of obedience, she, she raises her son. She names him Samuel. She raises Samuel until he is weaned, until he no longer needs his mother. And, and then she fulfills what she said. She says, he's going to be dedicated to the Lord. He's not mine anymore. And she takes him to, to the tabernacle, and she leaves Samuel with Eli, to serve there. And and upon her completing this step of fulfilling her vow, she's just like filled with gratitude. She's filled with gratitude. And 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 First Samuel two then is her song. It's a prayer of praise. And I'll just read it for you. It's not too long. I'll read it for you to get a sense of Hannah's. Hannah's heart of joy. It says in 1 Samuel 2, starting in verse 1, Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who were well-fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but others, he raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will despair in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. And then... The writer of, of 1 Samuel, he doesn't want us to, to be confused at all about what's going on here. And in verse 11, he includes this, this last just so everybody's completely clear. This wasn't just a dedication in the temple, this is a giving over of Samuel to God's purpose. And so in verse 11, then Elkanah returned to Ramah, which is his hometown, uh, without Samuel. And the boy served the Lord by assisting Eli. The priest. I have to be honest with you. This is not. Uh, this is not an entry level story. This is not an entry level story into the to the Christian faith. This is not an entry level story for those who who are putting their faith in the Lord. And for a couple of reasons, this this is not. This is kind of advanced stuff for a couple of reasons. First, because it's easily confused. What's going on here? It. Let me just be honest with you. It looks like Hannah has a desire in her heart. She says, God, give me my desire and I'll give you something great, and she gets it. That's what it looks like. I mean, you can, you can definitely definitely see this pattern, right? You can see this, if you're, especially if you're looking. If you're looking for a place in Scripture where, where somebody says, somebody approaches God with the perfect offer, And maybe that's what happened. Maybe it was that God was just in heaven thinking, if only I had a boy to serve in the tabernacle. And then Hannah showed up and and prayed, I'll give you whatever you want. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe. Uh, But if it is a description of that, I I have a question for you. If it is a description of that, if it is a description that Hannah showed up at the right time and offered the right offer at the right moment to God, would that mean then that it is a pattern that we can follow? Would that mean that it's a pattern that we we can say, hmm, I need to be looking for, I need to catch God on the day when he really wants an extra 20 in the offering plate, and I need to offer... Because as believers, sometimes, I mean, we've all... Maybe we've all done it. <laughs> Maybe we've all done it where we've said, "God, this one thing. This one thing, God. This one thing. It's it's the one. I'll never ask again, God." Nobody's prayed that one. I can tell. You're laughing at me. God, I will. I will. I will be faithful. Every day of my life from from now on, if this one thing God and it kind of looks it kind of looks in first Samuel 1 like that's almost what happens it appears that that Hannah caught God on a great day to make a bargain with God but it But you know that I don't think that that's what happened. So what do I think is happening here? First, let me tell you why I don't think it's happening. I, I don't think that, I don't think God, I don't think we are interested in worshiping a God that can be negotiated with. I'll just be honest with you. I am not. If God can be manipulated, you can have him. I want the God that I can't control. I want the God that's too powerful and his purpose is too great for me. Uh, that's the God that I think is is uh, worth worshiping. If it's a God I can control, there are plenty of other places that we can go, right? Like, that's Wicca. That's, that's wish, witchcraft. It, witchcraft deals in saying the right words in the right order while doing the right thing uh, in order to get the spiritual to do what you want it to do. So I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm not saying it's it's not a thing to to try to bargain with with the divine. It's just not Christian. It's not what the Bible teaches us. And and what we read here in Hannah in Hannah's story, I I don't think that it's, I don't think it's even describing that. It can be mistaken, and this is why it's not entry level stuff. I don't think it can be. I don't think he, Samuel is describing God making a bargain with Hannah. I don't think Hannah is intending to bargain with God, because when we look at her prayer, when we look at her prayer, what what she is saying is, Lord, this desire exists in my heart. I want this very much. God, if if ever I am blessed with this thing that I want very much, I will not keep it for myself. I will I will give the blessing to you. That is really what, what Hannah is doing here. I mean, her prayer of praise, her prayer of praise is not when she is raising the boy Samuel, not as she is nursing the child that she has dreamed of for all her life. Her prayer of praise is after she has walked away from the son she thought would complete her life. She has been to the temple. She has said, God, you have given me the desire of my heart. Here it is. Here he is. Praise your holy name. You are a great God. That is Hannah's story. Hannah says, I have this desire. I receive what you have given me, God, that is so good. It's yours. I will not keep it. Not for a second, God. Will I keep this great blessing that I have wanted for so long. So while we can look for ways to negotiate with God, uh, I, I've said it's not—it's not Christian prayer. Christian prayer is seeking the presence of God. Christian prayer, as as Jesus taught us to pray, He taught us, "Your kingdom come." your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray for the things we need. He said, give us this day our daily bread, right? That was part of the prayer. But he also told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, on earth. On earth, his, his will is done through his creation. Paul talks about it, and it sounds like Maybe it's the grass and the mountains, but I think it's also God's human creation. That when we pray that I will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray, God, may, may my heart seek your will. Seek your will in me, in this creation of yours, Lord. Your will be done. Not my own, and so Hannah's prayer, Hannah's story, it's not entry level. First of all, because of of confusion, right? Because we could get confused and we could start bargaining with God and think we we might get something. But the second reason that we it's not entry level is this exact this prayer: "My not my will, but yours. Your will be done." This is this is not christianity 101 Uh, this is this is about giving up this is about giving up our own desires it's about giving up on the things that we think will complete us and make us whole in um, hannah didn't didn't give up money she didn't even give up her desire But she gave up on thinking that the benefits were her own. She she thought the benefits belong to God. The good thing that comes from my desire, it should go to God. Her her prayer is, is a prayer of submission and surrender. If ever it comes to me, God, I'm going to give it to you. And so I think calling Hannah's prayer a prayer of submission is a much more accurate description of her story than to say that it's a bargain. To say that she is, in this moment, submitting, giving up, is, I I think that's really what's happening. When she goes into the presence of the, into the temple, into the tabernacle there, I think she's ready to just give up. She's ready to just to just surrender, and she does, and and she, she at this point she is open to God's will. Be it be it a child or not, she is she is ready to to continue on with her life. She gets up from from her time in the temple, and she's able to eat. She's ready. She goes back to Rama with with Elkanah we're told she goes about her life and it's in that moment that the lord blesses her i think when when we give up when we when we give up to the to god's will we say not not my will anymore it's this is not only descriptive of hannah but i think it becomes a pattern for us right if we if we give up to god's will we are certain to get god's will <laughs> If we let God's will become our will, we are are certain that God's will will be accomplished. But it it means that we don't have complete control. It means that we have to say, your will be done, and and we just wait and see what is God's will. What will God do? Sometimes God gives us a little, little sight of it ahead of time. But a lot of times, we wait. We wait and see. What is your will, Lord? Well, I I've had this illustrated to me a number of ways in in my own life. I remember there was a time when I was complaining a lot. Um, I used I used to complain a lot. Now I just uh, just tell the truth. I don't know. I I, I still complain a lot. I'm sure. But, I, there was one there was a time in my life when i i was pastor uh for for eight and a half years before we went to the mission field and i had a i had a rough rough beginning to pastoral ministry It turned out I was not God's gift to everything uh that I thought i was i, I had some growing up i had to do i people didn't take my wise advice always uh, It was weird uh, i and so so i I complained i, I picked and, and chose you know i I was wise about my complaining uh, i had a I had a pastor friend I was complaining to one time and I was just you know I was complaining I was complaining that uh, all of all of those complaints you can imagine why don't why don't I go somewhere else? why don't I do something else why why am I doing this what? How come nobody listens to my wise words? How how come people don't do exactly what I think they ought to do? And on and on and on. And uh, my wise wise pastor friend, he said, I've I've seen that people often finally get what they want once they've given up wanting it. (laughs) Once, Once you're content where you are, once you, once you just find a way to be at peace where you are in the Lord is when the Lord does great things. And, and over and over, I've seen it. I've seen it in other people's lives. I've seen it in my own. When we, when we say, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, not my will, but yours. There's a lot of nodding heads. There's a lot of amens coming right now. And so so it strikes me as odd that we all identify so well with needing that next thing. (laughs) With the the discontent that comes from thinking, it's the next phone that's really going to make my life all better. It's the next promotion. Because in reality, Hannah's prayer is, Lord, Not my will, but yours. And if it had meant not having a child, well, we wouldn't know her story. Uh, But I have to imagine that she would have gone away and she would have lived her life in in peace. She would have been content. But since it it meant a child, it, it meant that God could do great things. And so... It really means it means confronting uh, for, for us to grow up, for us to to experience this is this is not an entry-level Christian story, this is second-level Christian stuff. This is this is growing up Christian stuff. And for us to grow up, we really we must confront those desires that we mistake for ultimate desires. For the desires that it's that desire, it's if I fulfill that desire, then I'll have everything that I need. Then I will be content. Grown-up Christianity confronts those desires. It confronts the lies we tell to ourselves about those desires. Grown-up Christianity looks at the things we want, and it says, God's will be done. May God's will be done, not my own. And and so we see it in Hannah. Hannah. We see it in Hannah. She walks away from the tabernacle, praising God. No son of her own to raise, praising God, because God's will has been done, and God's will will go on, and it will shape the history of His people. That's the amazing thing about Hannah's story: is because she was faithful because she received from God what she asked and she gave it right back to God. The history of a nation is shaped. King David, the king that is the model that, that every king from then on was anointed because of, of Hannah's faithfulness. The people of Israel survived and were able to bless the world through, through this family because of Hannah's faithfulness. Who knows what God might do with your faithfulness to say, not my will, not my will, but yours be done. The ultimate example, of course, is Jesus. That's the the answer, right? If, If the question is asked, what's the best example? The best example is always Jesus, right? But as I've said earlier this morning, it's It's on the very night before he goes to the cross that Jesus prayed, I don't want this suffering, Lord. If there's any way that this cup of suffering could pass from me, let it pass from me. And then Jesus says, but not my will, yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done.